Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Travel Talks, where this week we're joined by Amy Fuller. Yeah, and Amy is, she has a lot of things, but she is a two times winter Olympian snowboarder. <laughs> she is a Team GB alumni with countless accolades and achievements <laughs> to her name. Uh, she's also a great character real thirst and love for travel and life and was an absolute pleasure to talk to yeah really loved meeting her she spoke about so many different things from living in the uk northern ireland in the us traveling to every single corner of the globe both for sport and in her own personal life as well and she even revealed to us the best winter sports location on the entire planet took me by surprise that one but definitely going to be googling it later and seeing how (laughs) to get there um she also spoke about traveling as an olympian with team gb and quite interestingly what olympians get up to after dark which i was a little bit surprised about i was surprised as well there's one thing which is going to clearly surprise me and it's yeah very very surprising (laughs) um and she also kind of talked about about what the current athletes can expect going into this summer's olympics in tokyo and how that is going to be very very different because of how travel is different now Yeah, absolutely buzzing to get Amy on the podcast. And I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we did. I love London. It is home and it will always be home. So day one, you've got two runs. Best run counts and I fall on the first run. So if I fall on the second run, you're going home, girl, and you're not going to the Olympics. McDonald's inside the Olympic Village. That must be the quietest McDonald's in the entire world. Oh no, it's very busy. I'd say like people, athletes get really excited about the fact that they can have a McDonald's for free. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us, Amy. It's great to see you. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you to begin with? Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. Podcast about travel. I've I've not been anywhere for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Join the clubs. (laughs) Hope you got good memory. I've got great memory, actually. Yeah, I can I can dig deep into uh, some of my travel memoirs because there's there's definitely been a few. Love to hear it. So we've got a big question, which we always ask everyone at the start of the podcast, and that is, how important is travel to you? Travel to me has been a huge part of my life. In fact. I would say it's even, I could go as far as saying that travel was like the basis of what I call my snowboarding degree. Degree, there you go, degree. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My my snowboarding career, I (laughs) did the degree of life um, because it's taken me to 
all four corners of the world. So travel has played a huge part in my career and, and without the ability to travel, I would not be sat here as a former two-time Olympian. <laughs> awesome. So you grew up in Kent just to create the backstory and moved to Virginia age 12. So there's so many questions we have to ask about that, but how did it feel as a 12 year old to move across the world to the other side of the world? And what was that change like for you? For me, it was really, really exciting. Uh, You know, you visualize as a kid, the American dream. I think I've been to Mm. the States maybe once before, but when we found out we were moving there, it was just, the best thing ever you know the the possibilities it is the land of sport right mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. absolutely loved it to start with i definitely found it a little tricky i had some really good friends in the uk and at the age of 12 you're kind of in that phase where you know you really really build those tight knit friendships mm. so it was hard leaving friends behind and making new friends but i would say sport and the opportunity to try different sports was a really big part of the process in me becoming really very happy living in the US. So from lacrosse, basketball, the introduction of snowboarding, wakeboarding, I literally had the time of my life and it it definitely helped shape who I am today. That's really interesting because you think that the US isn't necessarily culturally massively different to the UK, but at the same time as a 12 year old, there's probably a lot of noticeable differences. Uh, in just everyday life? Yeah, 100%. I mean, age 12, uh, living in Kent and you drive 15 minutes down the road to get to school versus living in Virginia, Alexandria, just outside Washington, D.C., traveling in on the Beltway, stopping, getting a Dunkin' Donut every day (laughs) on the way to school or we'd stop at Starbucks and get a Frappuccino with cream (laughs) because that was just the norm out there. And it's like, do you want an apple juice with your glazed donut? And um, (laughs) I had a 45-minute commute into town uh, with my mum and then I would get on the school bus. And I did that every day for three and a half years. And, you know, it's surreal going on a school bus you know the giant yellow yeah. buses that you see in the movies and yeah the whole the whole dynamic of life changed for me and I'd say as a family it made us so much closer and now we really are a, a very tight-knit unit because we had no friends there you know you're literally just cast into mm. a totally different environment mm. and I think as a family it made us very very close so you touched upon it a little bit a second ago about how you know the being around sports and us being such a sporting nation kind of influenced you in different ways but with the the passion that you then led into that built you know the snowboarding was it the access to slopes because being from the uk there's not a lot of snow here yeah definitely it was the access um you know growing up in kent i learned to ski on bromley dry ski slope at the age of four I was the kid that had the helmet that was too big for her and the ski suit that was too small. <laughs> and I, I used to absolutely love it, but but that was it. That was as far as it went. I saw a snowboarder once there go from the top of the slope to the bottom of the slope. But at the time in the UK, we didn't have, I suppose, the equipment to allow small kids to snowboard. So I was, I was quite a, a small child. So... When I moved to the US at age 12, I was like, yes, this is what I want to try. I, you know, I saw it at Bromley Dry Ski Slope, but they didn't have a board mm-hmm. small enough. So I literally went with some friends, uh, Maya and Ollie, and we actually went to Pennsylvania. It was called Whitetail Mountain. And I just remember trying it there and just absolutely 
loving it. I fell in love with the process, the creativity. And it's funny because the East Coast is not known for snowboarding. Obviously, you've got Vermont, you've got the Appalachians, and you've got the mountains in Pennsylvania, but you know, they're kind of hills with ice on. You know, a lot of it's man-made snow, but for me, mm-hmm. it it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. And I mean, I'd love to go back there now, but it still wasn't like easily accessible. It was like an hour and a half away. It was expensive. So it was the kind of thing I sort of got to do more and more as I progressed because I think my dad saw that I was okay at it. So instead of going down the motocross track, you know, he helped drive, drive that forward. But, you know, it was like a mm. hundred bucks for a ticket. And until you've got all your own kit, it's really expensive. So we used to go and we'd sort of try and like mm. get a half day, but then we'd get a half day and we would just stay all day. You know, there were loads of little ways around it. <laughs> so you mentioned it a few times there, the Appalachian Mountains. I want to hear more about them because it's not a place which I know too much about. So describe them to us, paint the picture. What were they like, especially as a young kid who hadn't really seen much snow before? Uh, so we've got West Virginia. Yeah, you're driving for quite a few hours actually into the wilderness. And again, it was we only kind of did that once a year actually because again they're not super accessible kind of far from Virginia sort of like a three and a half hour drive yeah they're magic they're these tiny tucked away mountains that you know they're not they're not really well known I wouldn't say um I'd say I had actually a better experience there in in the summer like hiking and walking camping because from a snow sport perspective you were almost better off in Pennsylvania just because it was a bit more accessible. It was an hour and a half away and the lifts were faster, whereas the Appalachians were more sort of oldy-worldy and, um, yeah, a real mm. a real experience to go to, but a little bit less accessible for us living very close to D.C. So what followed from there was being able to travel for your passion, you know, what would eventually become your professional career snowboarding. So in the years that followed that, you did some mad traveling. And we're talking Europe, Asia, North America. What was that like, you know, really stretching your around the world and getting to experience that? Wow. Yeah, it was crazy because I moved back to the UK in 2007 from the States. And I thought, that's it. My snowboarding dreams are over. And I literally started school And it was the first week I was there, actually. And I came back and I had a phone call. My mum was like, Amy, there's someone on the phone for you. And I was like, really? That's odd. Hi there, Amy. It's uh, Stina Brun-Caldas, the European Roxy team manager. Uh, Jessica Dalpiaz in the US um, mentioned you to us and we'd love to invite you out on a camp to Switzerland on the 10th of October. So it was actually like three weeks later. And I couldn't believe it. It was literally the dream come true. I had spent a week on Mount Hood, which was kind of one of the first trips I did on my own in the August, riding a glacier. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And literally, I went and bought all of the Roxy clothes. The pro Erin Comstock was wearing. I was like, she is so cool. I want to be her. I want to do what she does. Um, like literally no joke. I bought her outfit, like the necklace, the same top, everything. So to then have that phone call and to be introduced to go onto that team was surreal. So my first real experience of, of traveling on my own, like consistently started at the age of 16 in the middle of my A-levels. So the first trip was to Sasfe in Switzerland, which is tiny little mountain village uh kind of close to Zermatt actually sort of three hours from Geneva mm-hmm. so that kind of kick-started my career there and then from from there on out I spent very little time at school during my A-levels uh Sullivan Upper School were very understanding and <laughs> um, I did manage to get some A-levels believe it or not but it really kicked off so that that first year I, I spent the majority of my time in Europe because I was still at school And then the following year, it kind of went full turbo. I went part-time on the GB main team. And then I was in the States right before Christmas. Straight after my A-levels, I was in New Zealand. And and that trip to New Zealand in 2009 really was sort of the catalyst of my career. I got third in the New Zealand Winter Games, which was a World Cup, one of the first World Cups I'd ever competed in. And, And from then on, every summer I was either in Australia or New Zealand and then I, because I was on the international tour we had events in Korea, China, I went to the Lebanon, Russia, it's uh, it's really crazy and in a way we were sort of lucky with both of the Olympics that I competed in in that they were you know in, in you know foreign foreign lands to as to what I would call foreign you know Asia, Korea and then Russia yeah. mm. so yeah, I've been very, very lucky to experience a lot of traveling. Yet, it's definitely not easy. And I think that's maybe something people mm. maybe neglect when when talking about traveling as a professional athlete. Mm. It's definitely very lonely. And, you know, you, you're flying through time zones and 
you know, juggling sleep and prepping for mm. an event. And you don't have a lot of time, but I think as I got older, I really, really started to invest time at either side of a trip to really enjoy the experience. So, for example, I went to China for the World Champs, Beijing, and I was like, right, I'm going in two days early. I'm going to go and spend a couple of days in Beijing, acclimatize, go and see the Great Wall. And I just started Mm. to integrate different experiences into my snowboarding trips as I got older. Mm. So I could actually experience the countries because otherwise it's just like ding, 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 ding. Amazing. Let's dig deeper into that then because that sounds absolutely amazing. So those memories you speak about and those highlights and stories, are there any which stands out which you could tell us right now? Okay, so we're going to Australia. Uh, One of my best snowboarding friends and Roxy teammates uh, is the goddess of Australia, Tora Bright. She won uh, Olympic gold in 2010. And normally every time... I go down to Australia, I would swing via hers or on the way back. And she always used to give us a little road trip. So normally we'd fly into Canberra. Canberra? That was very Australian, wasn't it? Canberra. Canberra. (laughs) And then we'd drive like two hours uh, to the Snowy Mountains and ride in Jindabyne. And the nice thing about Australia is it's often warmer than other mountain climates, um, especially during their winter, we'd sort of go to the tail end of their winter and it'd be quite nice and warm. So you'd go up the mountain riding, come down and you could hang out by the mm. lake, which was really nice. And then because we'd be there sort of sort of late August, early September, I'd always go down to uh, Sydney and stay with my friend in Bondi for a couple of days. And that was kind of the, the icing on the cake, having the flexibility to throw in those little bonus days by the beach when two days prior you were in a blizzard on top of a mountain. That was kind of surreal. And then and another time in Australia, we had kind of a, a crazy experience where both myself and a good friend of mine, Jenny Jones, she won, she won, <laughs> she won third place at the 2014 <laughs> Olympics. And we went out there in 2014 summer and I impaled my hip on a cab double 900 and she... <gasps> obliterated her ankle so neither of us could really walk and we were stuck in this mountain town in Jindabyne and we were like mate what are we doing we're in Australia why are we just sitting here so we got on Google and we were like where is the closest hottest place (laughs) we can go so I was on a Zimmer frame (laughs) he was on crutches and we were like cruising through Canberra airport the next day we were scuba diving on the great barrier reef <laughs> amazing water that. therapy is good for injuries right yeah yeah it's physio you're just doing some physio it's all good that's so cool exactly i want to ask you a question now this might be difficult for you to answer before we get into talking about team gb and olympics and that sort of thing of all the places you've been of all the places you've boarded in the words of a pro what is the best resort that everyone should be adding to their winter sport bucket list mm-hmm. i mean it's so obvious, but it's not. Okay. Japan, Niseko, it's the best place in the world. I went there after my last Olympics. I went in January 2019, best trip of my life. The snow is, you know, it's it's chest deep and there's something majestic about Japan. It really mm. is very special. You go up the mountain, you ride bottomless powder, 
It snows every single night, so there's fresh tracks the next day. You come off the mountain, you've got amazing Japanese food, mm. ramen noodles, you know, the, the heat, the warmth, so good for your soul after, mm. a, you know, a long day snowboarding. And then you've got the onsen, which is like mm-hmm. a natural Japanese hot spring. And you've got mud baths and you all go in there naked. It's crazy. <laughs> it's so casual. But just the lifestyle out there, it's so relaxing and it's so like conducing to a positive environment to enjoy mm. a really good snow sports holiday. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was ace. I can send you some photos of us in the mud bath, naked, but we're covered. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Don't worry, we got it covered. We got it covered. <laughs> Let's move on to the Olympic stuff then. So to take us a little bit back, you've been traveling around the world, smashing competitions, and then you get that phone call to say that you're going to be in Team GB in 2014, Sochi Winter Games. Yeah. I imagine it was like a lifelong dream of yours. Can you remember what you were doing at the time you got that phone call? Yeah, well, I had the craziest run-up of my life to my first Olympics, and I've never felt pressure like it, and it definitely has changed the way in which I operate now. I had a really weird run-up in the sense that I was very focused on trying to achieve something else, which at the time was a world's first. And I got hurt a lot on the journey uh, to qualify. So to qualify, you need two top 12s and you need to be in the top 24. And I just had a really, really rocky run-up. So the first contest was in the US and I was hurt. So I rode through the course to get some points. You know, it's not enough. You need two top 12s and there's like 70 girls in a field. So Mm. riding through got me. Not very far, but some experience. Second contest, um, just wasn't feeling it. Still injured, so missed Canada. Third contest, Russia, cancelled. Fourth contest, Spain. They only ran the first run. And then it was New Zealand. And before that, I'd been in Canada training and separated the AC joint on my shoulder, grade two. So again, rocked up in New Zealand, just like not ready to perform in the slightest which meant I had two contests left to, you know, really try and, you know, make the Olympic team. So I'd gone from sort of the it kid who was going to make the games easily, you know, landed a world's first, everything's going good to suddenly like, whoa, I've got two chances and it's December 2013. Mm. I need a top 12 or better in a really heavy hitting field right before the Olympics. And I got 11th and then... I had a really stressful Christmas. I stayed stateside. I was in Canada, so stayed in North America to stay on the same time zone. And then the final contest was two weeks before. So when you ask if I remember it, I remember it very vividly because Mm. I remember sitting in that hotel room, staring out the window in Quebec, Canada, where it's minus 32. It's a howling blizzard and you've got three days of competition to get through. So day one, You've got two runs, best run counts, and I fall on the first run. So if I fall on the second run, you're going home, girl, and you're not going to the Olympics. Like, And snowboarding is volatile. Wow. It's fast, it's explosive, and anything can happen. So I had a lot of pressure on my shoulders. And actually, the Austra- my Australian friend, Tora Bright, really helped me. We ended up at the top singing, getting the good vibes going, and it almost like detracted my attention away from the pressure. So dropped in, good vibes, landed a run, qualified through, 
to the semifinals. So that means there's 12 in the semifinals. So based on what everyone else was doing in the event, I needed a top six or better. So it went from two top 12s mm. to needing a top six or better to qualify for my first games. So semifinals day, and I was just like a Michelin man. I was robotic in that. I knew exactly what I wanted. I was the first girl up on the course, first girl through the course. And I just had my run dialed and I put it down and it qualified me through to the finals in fifth place, uh, which meant that I knew at that point I'd done it, I'd qualified, but obviously you've still got to survive the finals. So I remember dropping into that final run and the sense of relief and finishing and I actually finished the event, the World Cup, mm. in fifth. So it's two weeks before the Games. Finished fifth in the World Cup. And I just remember calling my mum. And I didn't need the seal of approval from anyone else, Team GB or or, or my coach even, because mm. we calculated what I needed to do to get it done, basically. And um, I called her and I would, will never, ever forget going, I've done it. And she's like, what have you done? <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> I'm going to the Olympics. And um, like that moment to me was so special because of the roller coaster of emotions and the pressure, like the pressure through that Christmas period of, you know, mm. like 19th of December right through to that first World Cup was like nothing I've ever felt. And for sure it's it shaped me and changed the process in which I approached my second Olympics and, that was completely different. That was easy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I will never forget arriving back to the UK. I was in Northern Ireland at the time and I'd missed the kitting out because I qualified so late. And I remember <laughs> arriving home, putting my Team GB kit on and it was so big, but I just didn't care. I was yeah. like, yes. <laughs> Love that. That's amazing. So then right, you've got the call up, you're going to the Olympics what is that like traveling with team GB and going to an Olympic event? Now, how, let's just say, how is it different to what you were doing before with other competitions? So I think the biggest thing to think about is it's a competition at the end of the day. And this was always mm -hmm. my mentality. It's no different. The only thing that's different is you're going with team GB and now you're all wearing funny clothes, right? <laughs> so I'm still going with like my best friend, Jamie, who, you know, I met for a coffee yesterday. He will always be my Olympic brother and, and Billy and Jenny, who are all my mates. So it's kind of like, oh, my God, it's like we're going on holiday. We've got, like, we've got matching clothes on. But, <laughs> you know, on a serious note, to wear, you know, your country's flag and to represent your country is definitely one of the best feelings. And until you're really there, until you're at the Olympics, you will never understand the magnitude of what you're about to experience. Yeah. So to follow on from that and to kind of get a peek behind the curtain to what it's like to be an Olympic athlete, do you get a chance to kind of break away and see many destinations in the, in the amazing places that you are in at the time? Because Sochi, for example, did you get a chance yeah. to explore that? Sochi was a funny one for me because I was quite young and it all happened very fast. Mm. I've always had a really strong connection with my family, as I mentioned at the start. And I remember loving the experience, but also wanting to go home to mm. celebrate with mm. my mom and dad and my friends because they weren't there. And me and Jamie actually left a few days early and we went we went back to the UK, um, which was just a whirlwind. And that whole process was 
was really exciting, you know, from doing Fern Cotton's breakfast show to Alan Davies' Friday night TV show to mm. being recognised on the tube walking around. Our wow. sport got catapulted into the limelight. So it was really special to be able to come back and experience that. But Sochi itself was a, a really unique Olympics. Uh, there was a lot of security there. You know, we were split up. There were different villages. So we did go down to see uh, the coastal village, but we mm. were very much up in our own little village. But I think mm. sort of behind the curtains, one of the best bits actually is probably the food hall. Mm. It's 24 hours. The food <laughs> is free. You can have whatever you like. And there's also a McDonald's. Um, I actually don't. Yeah, didn't get involved in the McDonald's until Jenny won a bronze medal and we were up very late celebrating. But yeah, the whole experience is is kind of fast. So when it came to my second games, I was I knew what to expect and I came out of the village, I went down to Seoul, I saw my family and really maxed it. But kind of when you're there for the Olympics you're there to max that really mm, not yeah sure i wasn't too interested in seeing everything i wanted to focus on on really what i was doing and then seeing my family but in the test events like for for Seoul, you know we we got to explore a little bit and that that was really cool to see but we go in the winter so it's always so cold you know mm, <laughs> sure so so pyeongchang in 4 years after sochi uh, south korea Obviously, you said you only had a few days to explore, but what do you have any interesting experiences? Because what I've heard about Seoul specifically is there is some absolutely bonkers food. Yeah, um, we had a really good time at the test event, actually. So me and Jamie stayed a couple of days extra and we went and explored around. Uh, we went to the cat cafes. They're pretty cool. Mm. I don't know if you've heard about those. Yeah, uh, That's kind of a casual thing to do there, to go and have a cup of tea with all of the cats uh, <laughs> and then we did have a walk around the food markets the food markets there are you know phenomenal the, the colors and sort of like the raw experience of the culture is you you really feel a part of it so we we did sit down I have to say I'm not that adventurous when it comes to food and octopus tentacles so I kind of played it safe uh, <laughs> had a cup of tea uh, but I enjoyed seeing it all <laughs> nice okay I, I have to ask this so you hear the stories about big parties and big nights with the summer olympics and i can only imagine it has to be exactly the same if not even more so for winter olympics based on you know the types of sports that are involved and the vibe you get with like winter sports is there anything you can share there any big memories yeah well i definitely gave you a little clue guys i said mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> in the early yeah. hours of the morning yeah <laughs> that um so a uh, very good friend of mine, we say she won. She won She won bronze, which was phenomenal for us. It was sort of classified as one of the first uh, medals on snow. She got third in the slope style and Amazing. she's been a teammate of mine for years. So that was really special. So we were whisked down to the coastal village to do some media, um, had a very nice steak. Uh, in between interviews with the BBC. And then we found ourselves at the after party in Rosa Kuta, uh, which, as you can imagine, in Russia, involved lots of vodka, <laughs> lots of dancing and a lot of fun. And um, a very <laughs> late night, which involved us all eating chicken nuggets from the free McDonald's at around four in the morning. So, so good, good times were had. 
<laughs> and I'd say similar in, in Pyeongchang, actually, a lot of the brands come out there and actually create little hubs outside of the village. So once you've finished competing, you can you can go and celebrate. So I remember the Austrian party, Anagasa won a gold medal and there were stakes flying all around the place, men in ladoes <laughs> and women in those funny dresses. And um, there were some definitely some uh, good times were had for sure. I don't know why the one thing I want to ask about is the McDonald's, but I, keep, I, I need to I need to carry on the conversation about that McDonald's because it just it blows my mind. That must be the quietest McDonald's in the entire world, a McDonald's inside the Olympic Village. Oh no, it's very busy. I'd say like people athletes get really excited about the fact that they can have a McDonald's for free. <laughs> you know, a lot of the hard work is done beforehand, so once they get there, they're kind of like. Once you finish competing, you know, everybody really lets loose. It's yeah. definitely not quiet. There's some big guys competing in some sports. So, mm. you know, like the bobsled guys, they can tan a Maccas or two and it's, it's <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Doesn't touch the sides. <laughs> Excellent. Now, obviously, what what is fast approaching now is the coming Summer Olympics in Tokyo, obviously postponed from last year. An interesting one because with everything that's gone on in the past year and a half, what do you think the travel experience of going to Olympics will be for the, like for them in comparison? Do you think it will be majorly different? I think it's going to be very different in the sense that you know, there's PCR tests, there's COVID, and there's, you know, also a, a fear of catching COVID. You know, mm. you're going to compete at the Olympics, you do not want to catch COVID. So, you know, I would say there's going to be very, very strict sort of parameters in place. So the athletes avoid any exposure because there's no doubt about it. COVID is still around and it doesn't matter whether you've had one jab or two, you know, you, you can still catch it. So, I'd say until the athletes have competed, everyone's going to be on on very high alert because the last thing you want to do is put in five years of hard work and turn up at an Olympic Games and and risk picking something up. And, you know, it's the same pre-COVID. You've got to be very careful as well with, you know, you're in in a village of people. It's a bit like going to Butlins and mixing with everyone. (laughs) Diseases can spread whether it's COVID or not. So... I think, you know, there's definitely heightened alert. There is no no fan base, which is going to be a real shame. But at the same time, these athletes have worked for five years and to have a games and to have an opportunity to showcase their skill set is huge. So I, I think it's it's definitely going to be an event where we see the world reunite because, you know, we're disjointed mm. right now. So to see the world come together again through sport, I think is is really special, but it's not going to be the same. Uh, but it will still be celebrated. For sure, yeah. So to take us back to a pre-COVID world and to when you were competing in the Olympics, let's talk about the build-up to an Olympics now and find out what kind of goes on there. So in the few weeks that build up to the Olympics, what does that look like for you as an athlete? Uh, and how do you prepare for the time difference change as well? So it kind of really depends on what sport you do. But for us, for example, uh, we came back from the US and we spent actually about 10 days at home just kind of settling in, getting ready, uh, which is kind of surreal, really, because you would expect us to be on snow. But when we don't have snow in our country mm. and we need to pick up our kit, you know, mm. there's there's lots of things to do before an Olympics. You know, make sure you're calm, everything's organised, get ready to travel on to wherever it is. And, you know, for us and for Tokyo, it's, it's, it's not a short flight. It's a decent trek. So 
sort of preparing your body and having a little wind down just before. And then when you get into the village, it's sort of just getting acclimatized to your environment, spending some time adapting to the jet lag, mm. grease in the groove, as we call it, like mm. getting your body moving again. Uh, so then when you have access to the facilities to start practicing, it's kind of all go and you're ready to go. So actually you kind of taper things down a little bit so you're fresh for for your arrival. Okay. Mm. So this is a good opportunity before we move on to some general travel questions that we do with all of our guests. This would be a great opportunity to talk a bit about your podcast. First of all, Olympic Mile uh, on BBC Sounds, but also Monday Mile. Talk us through what are they and where can people find them? Okay, so first up, we've got Monday Mile, which is a walk and talk podcast where I meet a guest excelling in their field, whether it's an athlete, a celebrity, a dancer, a singer, a doctor, and I tap into their Monday morning routines and provide you, the listeners, with a source of moving motivation essentially it's Mm. designed to get people off their screens to plug in and get out and about and walk with us so we walk a mile sometimes it ends up a little bit further so the conversations are around 20 to 45 minutes Mm. it's a really sort of positive pick me up feel good vibe and it drops every monday morning so that's called monday mile and right now monday mile is on holiday because we are in the pre-Olympic build-up and we have the Olympic Mile podcast dropping on BBC Sounds this Monday, the 19th, uh, which is very, very exciting. It's a vision I had probably about three months ago and we actually started stacking the content on the 19th of April with Helen Glover before she'd already qualified. So to see it come to light and to see the concept of out walking and talking with my Olympic guests as they embark on their journey to Tokyo. It's really special. It's lighthearted. It's fun. Yet there's some really sort of informative, positive key messaging in there. So definitely check it out. Olympic Mile, the Olympic Mile on the BBC Sounds app. Sounds absolutely amazing. And also it's coming out the exact same day that this podcast is coming out. So there's no excuse. Once you've listened to this podcast, go over to BBC Sounds, give it a listen. Sounds absolutely amazing. Like Saunders said, we're going to move on and talk about the classic Travel Talks questions now, which we ask every single person that comes onto the podcast. And there's some big ones in there. And it starts off with your favourite city in the entire world and why. London. I love London. It is home and it will always be home. I have travelled for like, yeah, 13, 15 years of my life now. And every time I come back here, there's always something new to discover. And in the summer, it's the best city in the world. I don't care what anyone Mm. says. Amazing. Any underrated cities you've been to? Some that maybe you've explored either through sport or just in your own personal life that you think maybe don't get the attention they should? Uh, You know what? I really like Dubai, Mm. actually. And this won't be popular. (laughs) But the reason why I like Dubai is, for me, it's a centre point and an access point to the rest of the world. Yeah. Mm. So if you spend a bit of time in Dubai, the world is your oyster. You have access to the Pacific, uh, you know, Sri Lanka, the Indian Ocean. And what I really like about Dubai is if you're busy in London and you actually are struggling for time off, you can fly through the night and you can get four days in Dubai with the way the time zones work. So normally if I go, I'll fly, say, on a Thursday night. So then I've got 
all of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you can fly back on the Monday night and you can land back ready to work. That's so good. Uh, that's what I like about Dubai. So it's it's a bit of sun and I love my water sports. And uh, Dubai really is very conducive to that water sport environment. So as a city, I like Dubai a lot. But as a, you know, as a country... I would pick somewhere else, you know. Well, that's so ideal because the next question is favourite country and why? (laughs) Okay, my favourite country. I do really like Australia. I think it has a lot to offer, but it's so big. It's almost a bit, you know, you're like, I don't know where to go here. You know, like Mm. there's too many options. Mm. You've kind of got it all. Um, But my experiences with Australia, I love the lifestyle there. I love the fact that everyone is awake at like half five, running along the beach, Bondi to Bronte, you know, good breakfast, that active outside lifestyle. Mm. I love it. But then I've traveled to some places, maybe a little bit more off the beaten track and, um, you know, the southeast coast of Sri Lanka. Um, and again, I accessed that via Dubai mm. because I had a few spare days. So I do love to explore and I love nature. So some of the more sort of rogue, you know, countries where there's opportunity to explore uncharted terrain. I, I believe, you know, there's still a lot of opportunity to do that in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, because it's just not so westernized. And, and that really is a, a very big appeal mm. for me. Mm. So we know you love London. We know you love living in the UK, but you've also lived, like we say, in, in the US, you've lived in Ireland. So as someone who's lived in numerous locations... Have you ever visited somewhere and thought, I could actually live here as well? Yeah, Bondi Bondi Beach in Australia, Mm, for sure. Like I could literally, you could put me on a plane tomorrow and I'd be as happy as Larry. I'd fit right in. Mm. I'd start going to yoga, I'd do my runs and no doubt I would meet people because I think, you know, through movement, a lot of my friends that I've met here in London actually is, literally just through going to the gym Mm. in between the times where I was living between Northern Ireland and London for work um, I spent a lot of time in the gyms and it's it's mad how you can meet people if you surround yourself by people in a positive environment Mm. I think it's conducive to meeting like-minded people for sure so outside of snowboarding outside of winter sports within traveling do you would you say you prefer cities or more rural destinations I like anywhere that's warm Mm. so anywhere that's not cold (laughs) i'm there i love it i love the heat uh i think i've spent so much time in the cold my body operates really well in in the warmer climate so i do like cities i like city breaks i think they're really fun Mm. they're totally different to exploring a tropical destination and i think you go with a different mindset i love both but if i had the choice i'd probably go to the beach and I'm interested, as someone who's obviously leading such an active lifestyle, when you do get a chance to go away, would you say you continue that active lifestyle or do you like to sit down, relax and perhaps lie on a beach or buy a pool? So you know what, it's quite an interesting one actually because sort of post-Olympics 2018 up until now, not not including the sort of the last 18 months of pandemic, I found myself almost in this rut of flying and flopping. Mm. I don't know if you've used that terminology Mm. before which is not really my style but I think it was kind of through burnout you know Mm. go 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 chasing you know my new career which is you know kind of kicking off right now which is really exciting but 
I've put put a lot of time into it. So in between that, I would have been traveling as well, still snowboarding a bit, you know, doing bits in London, flying here, there and everywhere for various jobs. That when I actually went on holiday, I was exhausted. So I was doing the fly and flop, mm. but that's not mm. really my style. I love to be active and I love to explore. So I think it's about finding, for me, which I feel like I'm finding now, a, a better balance mm. in London. So when I go away, I'm not just going to recharge. I'm going mm. to explore and have a good time. Nice. So we touched on food a little bit earlier when we spoke about the fact that you weren't eating the stuff in the cat cafe. But I'm intrigued <laughs> to know about your food habits. Uh, would you call yourself a foodie to start with? Yes, I'm definitely a foodie. Love it. Nice. That's what we like to hear. Good. Okay, so that, where would you say is the best country for food that you've experienced? I mean, again, it's got to be like Australia. You know, the breakfast there is just phenomenal. Or like Bali. Mm. You know, Bali's pretty much adopted mm. Australia's food saying that Sri Lankans know how to do a good curry mm. but even um, mm-hmm. the way the Balinese cook fish with really basic ingredients like chili ginger oh. tomatoes I did did a cooking class out there and the, the way they cook with just such raw pure ingredients I think their food is really really tasty and fresh I mean you can't beat you know fresh fish mm. straight out of the ocean Nice. So to carry on from that, like you mentioned there, love to hear about like a particular food or a particular dish you could just take yourself back to and imagine eating. Okay, I'm going to take you to Sri Lanka and I am with my mum in this tiny little warong and we've got, we went to Sri Lanka for two days. It was the wildest thing That's that rapid. I think probably <laughs> my mum has ever done. We flew to Dubai and the weather was really bad. And I was like, we haven't got time to be sitting here in the rain. We've only got four days. She's like, well, we'll just stay here. And I'm like, no, let's go somewhere warm because it was winter. I just started looking at flights, The clo- again, the closest, hottest place to uh, Dubai where you didn't need um, like a visa or anything. And it was Sri Lanka. So off we trotted for two days and I remember sitting in this tiny warong eating the most amazing Sri Lankan tuna curry of my life. It was so good. Um, it was served up on like a green banana leaf, mm. wild rice and, you know, topped with like dried coconut. It was magic. And just the setting was was magic as well. Sounds so good. You guys look hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am actually. When you're uh, when you're in the mountains and you're you're, you're boarding, is there any go to mountain grub that you always go for, like kind of comfort food? Yeah, birch and muesli. It's probably like the only thing I'll eat in the Austrian Alps because other than that, it's like schnitzel and chips, goulash soup and white bread, yeah. uh, apple strudel <laughs> and custard, the the giant pancake stuff that's got like loads of sugar on it. So always up in the Alps, they have like a cereal bar and they have the best Bertram muesli. I love it. So I'd always end up like tanning a couple of bowls of that. Um, and I'd, I'd try to avoid the sort of the schnitzel and chips because it's just not really a vibe when you're trying to perform. <laughs> that leads me very nicely onto the next question. I was going to ask, how controlled are you and what you eat when you're training for a competition, but also during a competition? Well, Do you, And I mean that both from a health point of view, but also taking risks with strange food and stuff. Well, Saunders, things have changed a little bit now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm definitely a lot more relaxed. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had, I would say I had quite a, a regimented diet, actually, as a snowboarder. 
um, you know, you've got to be light and fast on your feet. So I always played it pretty safe. I had some really good sort of life travel hacks to help me avoid eating plain food and then arriving at a destination where it's just not really what you want to be eating. For example, in Czech Republic, a lot of the food is very heavy, fried, mm. very oily, mm. and it's just not it's just not good for performance. So I'd always like travel with a couple of tins of tuna, you know, like cooked quinoa, mm. packs of quinoa, mm. uh, like pots of oatmeal. And then I'd just go and buy like a load of fresh fruit, avocados, and I'd just kind of hash mash a bunch of stuff together mm. and sort of keep it as as like pure as possible with kind of the right macronutrients. And I say the right macronutrients, it's whatever's right for you. Mm, awesome. But now, yeah, definitely indulge in the odd slice of pizza or two. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> You're only human. We've spoken about travel so positively, but you alluded to it a little bit earlier about the fact that travel is not always amazing. So I'd love to hear a different side of travel now and perhaps a place that you would never go back to? I mean, I don't really want to disrespect any country, but I did have an awful experience in the Lebanon. Mm. I really did. Just with like a really like dodgy situation, not, not a very nice hotel, and I felt ill out there. So I just don't think that complemented my experience. Mm. But I'd, I would like to go back now, you know, like 10 years older, 10 years wiser, and... Um, you know, experience it through a more cultural angle. Whereas before I was there purely for snowboarding and performance mm -hmm. and the environment mm -hmm. just wasn't conducive to that, which made it very hard. Okay. And on the flip side of that, is there a place from your travels that you feel like you really need to go back to and explore more? I'd love to go back to Japan again. I only spent like a night in Tokyo and I just thought that city was wild again. Mm. A little bit like London in the sense, you're like, where do I start here? It's huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So probably Japan, because I've just really enjoyed what the mountains had to offer there. And there's something really special about that place. And maybe to see it in the summer would be, would be really cool to see it in a different light. Mm. Where in particular would you like to visit most from Japan? Not a clue. <laughs> Not a clue. Um, as soon as I know I've got free reign on travel, I will be looking at the map and plotting destinations. But until then, right now, I'm just really content at home in the UK and enjoying every day in our country because I've not really had much of an opportunity to be still my career mm -hmm. so to enjoy this stillness right now and to focus on my career and other elements of my life it's 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 really nice and there's still plenty of the UK to explore and I'm lucky part of my my base my home is in Northern Ireland so I really feel like I have the best of both worlds with my London fast-paced life and then I have a house in Northern Ireland so when I go back there I've got Helens Bay Beach at the bottom of the road and um you know beautiful coastal paths and sort of untouched scenery with no tourists so um you know when the weather's good there there's there's nowhere like it amazing great outlook as well in terms of taking in every single moment yeah absolutely uh so final question there's something that we ask all of our guests we have on travel talks bucket list destinations what sits at the very top of your bucket list and why oh that's so hard maybe somewhere like there's an island in the pacific Ta tavarua have you heard of Tavarua? I've not, no. No? There you go. That's one That's one for your bucket list. It is an island 
I believe in the South Pacific where they have the best waves in the world. And I would love to go there. There we go. You're learning something new every day. I've never even heard of it. <laughs> love that. Yeah, I need to check that out. I need to check that out. That's amazing. So thank you so much, Amy. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved hearing all of your stories and it's been an absolutely amazing episode. Thank you so much. Just to give another push to your podcast, which everyone should go and listen to, the Monday Mile, the Olympic Mile out now definitely go over give it a listen and give it a review if you can as well that'd be awesome a hundred percent if it's anything like the stuff you've done in the past amy it's going to be amazing there's gonna be some great chats really good insight and yeah everyone needs to head over and subscribe and listen definitely thank you so much for having me on guys it was it's nice to talk about traveling for a change because we've not for the past 18 months (laughs) exactly yeah so there we go what a great chat that was. Uh, I knew it was going to be good going into it, mm. but she, the way she talks about her stories and the way that she has that sort of real passion for not just yeah. her sport. I love, even though, I'll be honest with you, mate, a lot of the stuff that she said about snowboarding, she talked about certain tricks and stuff yeah. straight over my head. <laughs> but her, the passion in her talking about it, yeah. it yeah. sort of made you understand it anyway. It was great. So, so good. And you could just tell she loves traveling. It's not put on. She loves to explore every single corner of the globe and kind of appreciates how lucky she's been to do so as well through her sport which is really really nice that is one of the beauties of this podcast doing this podcast with you mate because we get to talk to people about travel but they're from lots of different walks of life you know we've got youtubers and influence we've got sports people but we've got you know electric mobility adventurers as well just to pour a recent one in Uh, and now hearing amy's approach as an olympian that's pretty cool mate i think we should give ourselves a little tap on the back for getting to talk to amy today as a team gb yeah. representative multiple olympics getting her on the podcast to share the stories it's absolutely awesome to be recording a podcast with an olympian when you actually say that out loud that is pretty crazy for sure and it doesn't stop there because we've got more great guests lined up who have we got next yeah you've pulled this one out of the bag saunders you've dipped into the contacts in your phone you've pulled out an absolute corker because nick cassidy the formula e driver is going to be on the podcast i'm absolutely buzzing to meet him and to record this because it's going to be one of our best episodes yet i just know it yeah i i kind of uh, use my connections within the Formula E world to, to get Nick on board. Nick, I'm really excited for you to meet him and, and mm. him to kind of divulge some of his stories from his career because he's had such a great career. And why I'm really particularly excited about having him in the podcast is his racing career, it goes outside the normal traditional European racing. Like mm. he raced in Japan for a good few mm. years, really successful. So I can't wait to hear about those stories from over there. Yeah, it's going to be awesome to keep the momentum building because this is going to be an amazing series. We've got so many good guests lined up and it's going to be absolutely class. Thank you as always for listening, guys. If you haven't done already, it'd be amazing if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe if you haven't done. Maybe even follow us on Instagram. Send us an email if you want to get involved. All those good things. And we'll be back next Monday with the big, big guest, Nick Cassidy. See you then. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.